0: Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast, and we need your Halloween Horror Stories. Oh yeah, every year for our Halloween episode, well, traditionally we do guitar repair horror stories, and that's great. If you've got some to send in, please do so. But what we are looking for uh, that's special this year is gig horror stories. Like the craziest gig, the worst gig. You know, we all have them. If you if you're a gigging musician you have you have horror stories. Yeah. I have several.
1: I have several and I don't even play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, my name's Eric Daw. Uh just consider me your personal guitar scientist with twenty five years of experience building and repairing guitars. And sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co host Melissa.
1: Greetings. I will read the listener submitted questions and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier.
0: Mm-hmm. I will. I'll do that. Uh, what have you been working on lately?
1: Uh, I got some stuff I'm working on.
0: Melissa, some
1: secret things.
0: Melissa is a, uh, a leather worker and she makes a lot of guitar straps, as you know. Yeah. But she also has just started making her own leather balm balm, yeah, tell, it's tell the me balm. About it. yeah it's the balm yeah <laughs> uh, it's the
1: balm why does
0: why do you need balm for your leather
1: it's just conditioner
0: so it keeps it from like getting dried up and cracking right like so like conditioning your fingerboard on a on a rosewood or ebony fingerboard that
1: is correct so <laughs> yeah i have it up for sale on my etsy you can go to com to find it
0: it would that be good for any Guitar, leather guitar strap,
1: pretty much. Not not for suede. It's not for suede. Um, anything else? Any? Yeah, pretty much anything else.
0: Wow, cool. Okay, what have I been working on? You ask. Well, yeah. uh, I'll tell you. Uh, a lot of custom guitars. You know, I got, I got way behind, and not because I'm taking my time, but. Because so many people ordered guitars that it just has put me six months out on on custom builds. And so I disabled the order form on my website. So you can no longer order a custom guitar from me, at least until I reactivate it. Which, if I do, and I probably will, I don't know. But it won't be until at least, like, January or February of next year. Because I've got to get more caught up. I don't like taking people's deposit and then telling them there's a six-month wait. I don't want to do that. Plus, when I look at that list of all the pending guitars that I need to make, it just gives me like anxiety and heart palpitations, and who needs that, right? Yep. So I'm not taking any custom orders for uh, guitars for a little while, but there will be a few that I've got slated uh, just to build and then offer them for sale. You know, I snuck them into the queue, snuck them into the line. Right. So if you are kind of, if you've been thinking about getting one of my guitars and you want to see what's coming up and available, you can go to my website and you could submit your email there and uh, get on my mailing list. And every time I have a guitar that's available that's not spoken for, which is only a couple times a year, uh, but every time I have a, an available guitar, the people on the mailing list are the first to know. They, they get, they get the first heads up. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next day, I'll put it on Instagram. And then maybe later that day or the next day, I'll put it on reverb.com. So, um, and then, you know, and put it on my website, of course. Anyhow, so if you want to see what's coming up, you can submit your email there at pinupcustomguitars.com. Let's take some questions, shall we? Let's do we, it. Uh, let's see. I think that we have a phone call. Yes, we do. And here it comes.
2: Hi, Eric. My name is Al. I live just outside of Boston in Somerville, Massachusetts. I bought back in the spring a uh, Fender 70th anniversary broadcaster guitar. I like it very much. It's a little on the heavy side, Um, and I'm wondering if a guitar like that could be lightened by somehow chambering the solid body to take a pound or so off. Um, I'm wondering if it can be done, and I'm also wondering whether it's worth doing or wise to. um, I was just curious whether or not you've ever lightened a guitar um, by chambering it after the fact. Uh, thank you. I really enjoy your show. I enjoy the banter between you and, and Melissa. It's, it's very entertaining. Um, thank you for doing it. Oh, good.
0: Bye bye. Thanks, thanks, Al. You should hear our banter when the uh, microphones aren't on. It's terrible. <laughs> no, we're hilarious. Just just ask us.
1: You guys would be blushing.
0: Yeah. Well, so the, I I have never tried to lighten up a guitar after the fact. So after it's it's been finished and everything. Um I mean, it's possible. I mean, for example, Fender used to do what they called a smuggler's route cavity under the pit guard, where they basically just routed away a bunch of extra wood that wasn't necessary under the pit guard. You know, so you'd have to do something like that. And I just don't recommend it. Basically, what you would be doing is ruining the guitar, because that guitar... It's not worth a fortune, but you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's some kind of an anniversary broadcaster reissue, right? So it's, it's worth a, a little bit of money. You would basically be destroying the value if you did that. If you did some kind of lightning. Because the only way you're going to do it is by removing wood somehow and it's not going to be pretty. There's no way to cleanly do it. You know, you're going to ruin the finish. So. I would say no. I would say no. Live with it or, uh, find somebody who wants a heavier guitar and then you can, uh, buy yourself a lighter one. I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts. That's all we got for calls, I think. Let Ooh. me see. It is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Eric and Melissa, I recently put some active Seymour Duncan pickups in a Strat-style guitar, but in a, in my absent-mindedness, I used 500k pots. The guitar sounds amazing to me, so why does it matter what size pots you use with active pickups? Thank you for the awesome podcast. That's from Tom from Missouri.
0: Howdy, Tom! Thanks for submitting a question. I, uh, I'm probably I'm probably not the best guy to ask about active pickups because I'm. I'm more of a vintage guitar specialist, and uh, active pickups aren't really my specialty. But I would go with the manufacturer's recommendations, and most of the time with active pickups, you want to use a uh, like a 25k. You know, usually when I see the schematics, they've got like a 25k pot in there, uh, and that's because um, the the impedance is different. The, Twenty. You know,
1: sorry, 25k pot.
0: Isn't that what he said?
1: Said five hundred k pot.
0: Yeah, he used. He, yeah, he used five hundred k.
1: But do you mean two hundred and fifty k? No. Or twenty five k?
0: Yeah, you'll actually you'll actually use a twenty five k pot with wow. most okay. e- EMGs and and the like. I've I've seen way more EMGs than active Seymour Duncan's. You know, usually, I know when you buy a Seymour Duncan pickup, if you bought it new, it comes with a schematic. In the package, and uh, I would I would use whatever they recommend. I'm sure you can use 500k pots or whatever you've got in there. Um, It's just that they're gonna the the impedance is gonna be mismatched. So as you turn up as you turn down the volume pot, you're gonna lose a lot of treble. Right. So the, the 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 whole thing about active pickups is. I don't know how to how to how to describe it. It's just a different impedance so so as you turn down the pot with if it's a twenty five k pot as you turn it down you're gonna have much less treble loss than with a normal guitar like a normal passive guitar as you turn the pot down, not only do you lose volume but you lose treble well, that doesn't happen with active electronics, and the twenty five k pot is part of the reason for that so you know, you can put 500 or 250K pots in there, but it's probably just going to act like a regular pickup and might sound, I don't know, might cause some kind of problems or you might have signal loss or, I don't know. If it sounds good to you, though, and I think that's what he said, right? Yeah. He said they sound great, then, hey, play ball. Yeah, I got no problem with that, and and I don't... I. I'm, you know, I'm not looking at the schematic in front of me. Maybe they recommend 500k pots. I don't know because I don't know what the buffer is. Most active pickups have a built-in buffer where it's, so they require the 25k pots. Anyway, that's the best I can do. (laughs) Thanks, Tom.
1: Eric, I need help. My coworkers are addicted to steel wool. I'm talking steel wool bits stuck to the pole pieces of vintage guitars, custom shop guitars, and s- customers' guitars. They are a bit stubborn about taping off the pickups or alternative methods. Mm-hmm. Any tips on trying to give people suggestions in the workplace without looking like a jerk? Or how to clean steel wool off of pickups? I've brought it up before, but still can't find my, but still find myself pulling shards of steel off with a piece of masking tape. Thanks for any uh, advice.
0: Well, that's so frustrating. Let and- me
1: just jump right in here and say that Eric is not the best person to ask for advice on how to talk to your co-workers
0: without being a jerk <laughs> Melissa seems to think that I'm some kind of a, uh, <laughs> a- it's
1: because you are
0: yeah uh, no I mean look <laughs> um, I have always worked alone and let me tell you there's there's kind of a reason for that okay but aside from that yeah if they won't take us a hint, and if they won't take, <laughs> if they won't take some kind comments and suggestions, maybe it's maybe it's time for a stern talking to. I don't know. You're asking me for people skills. We've we're already on the same page about steel wool.
1: Yeah, Eric's not a people person.
0: Maybe you've heard the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm probably not the right guy to ask when it comes to people skills. No, I get along fine with, you know, customers and with everybody really. But
1: you know what you should do is you should go to their house and eat crackers in their bed. There you go. Cuz that's a similar problem.
0: You'll you get a wake-up call when when you're when you have steel wool all over everything. Uh the first time you kill a pickup because you ha- you got steel wool particles in there. Then you kind of feel responsible right? And that can happen. And not only that, you know, but it just is such a mess with steel wool particles around magnets. No, no, it's not good. So my, I'm so sorry. I, I don't have much advice, but I do have, uh, you do have my sympathy.
1: Hey, Eric and Melissa, I have a couple of questions. Firstly, at the risk of reigniting capacitor gate, I am just curious to know what brand of capacitors Eric prefers to use in his builds. I understand if he does not want to tell and give away the true secret to the legendary pinup guitar tone.
0: <laughs>
1: Second, a previous question was asked about any difference in bass setup. Eric said, not really, but the only thing I do different is I always loosen the string tension before tightening a truss rod on a bass. Is this not as necessary as I thought? Seems to help me straighten the neck with less turns of the rod when I do so. Thanks for any tips and the podcast and also, thanks, Melissa, again, for my strap and the custom apron. My guitar sounds better with a real Melco strap, and my repairs come out 10 times better with an authentic Melco apron. Ooh. That's from Ryan.
0: Nice. That,
1: for some reason, that apron I made for Ryan is one of my favorite things I've ever done.
0: It was killer.
1: It was fun. I remember the It was the really apron.
0: fun. I know. Okay, a couple questions. He wants to know about capacitors. So the capacitor... The brand it just doesn't have anything to do with what you're saying is the legendary uh pin up custom guitar's tone no uh the the brand is not consistent I use all kinds of capacitors i have i i mean i have literally like a giant you know rubber made tote full of new old stock capacitors from thirty forty you know, 20 years ago. Um, I've just, I bought, you know, I go to estate sales and there's Ham Radio Fanatics and I buy all their capacitors. And wherever I find them, I buy them. Sometimes I buy them on eBay, like in a lot. I'll buy a lot of capacitors. That's a lot. So, it is a lot. Uh So there's no consistent, you know, I don't use the same capacitor over and over again. Lately, I've been using these little uh yellow axial caps that they, they look like Mallory caps, but they don't say, they don't say, they don't have any brand name on them, but they're super cool, and they're 100 volt, which is hip for a guitar, because they're just the right size, they're nice and small, um, but the value is everything, I like point zero one five capacitors, .015 uh, mF or UF, or however you want to say it, um, microfarads, you know, Mm -hmm. 0.015. Anything bigger, so like 0.022 is pretty common in a lot of Fender-style guitars. 0.047 or 0.05 is common in some guitars. Those caps tend to take off too much treble, in my opinion. The 0.015 gives you more of the... it, It retains the mids, which I want. It just takes off less so it's just taking off some of the just very high end and it's leaving you with that mid-range meat which i you have to have i mean i love that so if you've got a tone pot with the 0.05 cap you roll the pot down and it just sounds like you dug a hole and put your amp in the hole and then filled it full of dirt there's just no um distinction between notes it's just muddy It's just unusable to me. So 0.015, and in my opinion, the brand and the make and the whatever doesn't matter. Just make sure it's a decent cap. Oh, and he asks about bass.
1: Bass setup. You loosen strings before tightening a truss rod.
0: I'm so glad you wrote this in, because yes, that is something I do different on basses, and I didn't think about it, so thanks for you know, keeping me honest and and thinking of things that I'm not thinking of. But, yeah, it does help to uh, loosen the strings when you adjust the truss rod on a bass. It especially helps if you've got one that you need to turn quite a few times. I'll clamp the neck to th- to where I want it with the strings off, right? So I'll put shims and a clamp and a long, you know, bar... A steel hollow tube and clamp the neck where i want it to be and then tighten the truss rod up to that just to help the truss rod because truss rods and base necks the base necks are just so long that those poor truss rods have a hard time doing what they're designed to do so yeah that is something different about bases thank you ryan Hi
1: Eric and Mel, a luthier in town insists on uh, on repairing everything with epoxy, including pre-war Martin bridge reglues, oh neck resets, cracks, and refrets. Is this going to be reversible in the future? Uh, How many years, if any, do epoxy repairs like these take from the longevity of the instrument? Thanks again for the great show.
0: Mm, thank you. Uh, thank you. It, uh... I've used epoxy on on an occasional repair where where it makes sense, but my god, a pre-war Martin? Look. If you're using epoxy to do a neck reset or a bridge re-glue on a pre-war Martin, uh, somebody should just come and take your tools away in the night. I uh, that's appalling to me. <laughs> that is absolutely appalling. Um so yeah, no. Don't don't do that. Is this going to be reversible in the future, he says. (sighs) I don't know. I I hope I don't ever get one on my bench. (sighs) And how many years, if any, do epoxy repairs like these take from the longevity of the instrument? I don't know. That would require me doing some kind of math calculation. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's not good. Enough. The problem is, if you do an epoxy neck reset, on a, on a pre-war Martin. And then, let's say in 30 years, it needs a neck reset again. Well, some fool is going to go in there and try to steam that off, and he's going to be thinking, well, I hope they used hide glue. Uh You know, worst-case scenario, type bond, you know. <laughs> no. Some fool epoxied it on. Uh And it just might kill that. I mean, I don't know. I've never... I don't know, because I've never tried to steam off a neck that's been epoxied on. Thank God. But it can't be good. I, It just can't be good. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for writing in.
1: Hi, guys. Love the show. Eric, you mentioned locking tuners in passing last episode, and it sounds like you don't like them.
0: Mm.
1: What do you have against locking tuners? What possible downside is there to a better string-to-tuner connection and higher gear ratios? Don't fillet me, just want more info. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that's from Ben.
0: All right, Ben, I got my fillet knife out. Don't. No, I'm just kidding. Be nice. Uh, look, if, if you like locking tuners, don't let my opinion color what you uh, how you feel about them. If you like locking tuners, rock on. That's great. Just don't put them on a vintage or valuable instrument where you, especially where you have to drill new holes that re- that that's really bad that it hurts the value of the instrument and not only that right because a lot of people have this attitude like well yeah it's worth it's worth $30,000 but I am rich and it's my guitar so I'm going to do what I want with it well that's great pal but you're being a bad steward of that this instrument is going to outlive you right thankfully but but and i'm not talking about ben here <laughs> I'm talking about this fictitious rich customer that wants to put uh locking tuners on his 64 lake placid blue strat it's not a good idea um it hurts the value of of the instrument if you have to do it use something that uses the exact same footprint of the old tuners and very carefully and nicely put the old tuners back in the case. But here's my deal with locking tuners. A, they're unnecessary. So many people think, I have tuning problems. I'm going to get some of those fancy locking tuners. Well, guess what? Your tuners weren't the problem. Your guitar needs to be intonated, or you're using goofy boutique strings, or you need just something simple like putting graphite in the nut slots. You would be surprised. You would be surprised how many people think they have tuning problems and you just, you know, service their guitar and all of a sudden they don't have tuning problems. They didn't need locking tuners. So, that's really my main problem with them. Now, some people like locking tuners because they're really easy, it makes it really easy to change strings. You pull the string tight, you lock the string down, and then you wind it up. It's easy, right? If that's what you want on your Epiphone or whatever, great. You know, knock yourself out. But the downside is, I see way more broken strings with locking tuners. They break right where the tuner crimps the string. With a traditional tuner, um, the string has a little more give and a little more uh, gradual bending going on, right? with With a locking tuner... It just absolutely clamps the string down, and then your string will eventually break right at the tuner. And uh, people with locking tuners know what I'm talking about. You break strings right at the tuner. That doesn't happen with traditional tuners, at least not at, at the same rate it does with locking tuners. So that's my other issue with them. Here's a third issue if you need more. They're ugly! Oh my God! They look monst- like monstrosities with a big knob on the back, and the and they're goofy, and they have or the weird Paul Reed Smith ones with the bat wing coming off the side. I don't know aesthetically. I think they look crappy. <laughs> so these are my problems with locking tuners. But again, if you love locking tuners, then who cares what I think?
1: Eric and Melissa, in the spirit of Halloween, I wanted to ask what candy you like most and which you despise.
0: Hmm. Do you despise any candy?
1: Mm, yes, but I can't think of one right now.
0: Sugar babies—that you know oh, how they yeah, stick to your terrible. teeth. Oh yeah, those are terrible. If you want to lose a tooth, have some sugar babies.
1: I like that you went right into the ones you despise.
0: Well, we they got me going talking about the locking tuners.
1: What do you what do you like in a candy?
0: I'm not I'm not really a candy junkie. I like chocolate. I buy super dark chocolate like if I can get like 95% dark chocolate. That's what I like. Uh, you know, if I'm really feeling like some kind of trash raccoon, I'll have a Snickers bar. But, man, that's that's really slumming. That's yeah. really trashy food. <sighs>
1: when Eric goes to the grocery store, not every time, but occasionally, he brings home Reese's peanut butter cups.
0: Oh, yeah, that's probably my favorite.
1: And I cannot believe that you did not mention Reese's.
0: I forgot. See, when I think candy, I'm thinking of, like, Skittles and Tootsie Rolls.
1: Skittles are awful. Actually, that's my... That's the one I despise, Skittles. Yeah. Those are bad.
0: Yeah. What about a Jolly Rancher?
1: I like Jolly Ranchers. All right. But for me, my favorite candy is either Reese's or like Heath's toffee. Yeah. I like toffee a lot.
0: Yeah, those are Reese's peanut butter cups. You know, if you want if you work for Reese's and you want to sponsor the show, we would take payment in <laughs> peanut butter cups. Uh <laughs> What's his, th- what did he have? Oh. Uh...
1: And on a more guitar-centric query, if a guitar is set up for tens, then how many string gauges can you go down before things get wonky? That's from Bruce in Seattle.
0: Mm. That's like how many licks does it take to get to the center of right. a Tootsie Pop?
1: Those are also terrible.
0: Uh, Bruce, I don't know. If a guitar is set up for tens, how many string gauges can you go down before things get wonky? Well, what kind of guitar are we talking about? Does it have a tremolo? Is it a floating tremolo? Are we talking about a guitar with a really thin mahogany neck? Are we talking about a Telecaster with a fat neck? So my point is, it depends. There are some guitars you could go from 10s to 9s, and it wouldn't make a ton of difference. And other guitars you can go from 10s to 9s, and you'll just completely need to reset up the guitar entirely. So that's my answer. Bruce, thank you so much. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back.
3: Hey, guys. I'm Cody with Apex Coffee Roasters. I wanted to give a few pointers on how to brew the best possible coffee at home. First thing you're going to need to make great coffee at home is great coffee. So whether you have Apex or one of the other mini delicious roasters out there, having great coffee is definitely step number one. Step two is having a, a good consistent grind um, through that coffee where each particle is relatively the same size. It's going to be really important to your overall extraction. Once the coffee is ground, uh, it starts to lose its aromatics and its quality fairly quickly, so grinding immediately before brewing is the most ideal situation. Tip number three is 99-ish percent of your coffee, what you're going to be consuming is made up of the water that you brewed with. So having high-quality brew water is definitely essential to the overall taste of that coffee. If you have water filtration, that is going to be significantly better than just using straight tap water. If you follow the first few guidelines of using high-quality coffee, making sure your grind is correct, using good brewing water, those are all going to ensure that just a basic coffee maker um, is actually going to give you a really good tasting cup. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, Order coffee from ApexCoffeeRoasters.com, and we'll see you soon. Thanks.
0: That's good coffee. If you order Apex Coffee online, make sure to use our promo code PINUP. That's P-I-N-U-P. That way they know that the Fret Files podcast sent you and you get 10% off. Do you have any idea what I do with my time? Let me tell you. It's consumed entirely by building custom guitars, repairing and restoring guitars, making custom guitar pickups. I make uh, r- replica blackguard uh, bakelite pick guards. These are all available online. You can go to my website ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. To see what's going on there, I've got a price chart. I've got you know pictures, examples of work. I've got a custom pickup order form. I would love to help you with your guitar repair or restoration or uh, just, you know, whatever you got in mind. Shoot me an email, whatever, give me a call. If you want to see the guitars I make, go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P I N U P, like pinup girl. I always feel like I have to spell it. I probably don't. You uh, understand, I'm sure. Anyway, check it out and uh, I'll see you there. Hey,
1: guitar nerds. Visit MelcoLeather.com to check out a variety of made-to-order leather guitar straps, or you can email MelcoLeather@gmail.com at gmail.com for custom work. Every Melco guitar strap is designed and built by hand by me. Check out my Instagram, at MelcoLeather to see examples of my past work. And, as an added bonus, I offer free shipping in the U.S. for orders over $35. Visit melcoleather.com. That's M E L C O Leather dot com.
0: Man, I feel great. I got I got a new haircut and I've got new headphones. And they they're so comfy and they sound so nice. This is lovely.
1: I am using old headphones that hurt my ears. Sorry. So uh I see where your priorities are.
0: I'll get you some new ones. All right, let's go back to the questions.
1: Hi, what is your opinion about refretting vintage instruments with frets that aren't period correct? I have a 65 Jaguar that barely has the original frets and needs new ones. I'm not opposed to vintage-sized frets, but if I'm going to put new frets on, I might consider some slightly taller ones if that won't put me in the same camp as those A-holes putting locking tuners on their pre-CBS strats. (laughs) Also, I've been searching the internet to learn what various fret options are out there and have learned at least a couple things. One... 6105, 6230 at all seem to mean different things to diff- different vendors. Mm-hmm. The listed dimensions never seem to match. And two, the tang depth differs too. I don't think there are two fret wires on Stumac with the same tang, which kind of surprised me how much the depth varied. So my questions stemming from those are one, what the hell? And two, does different de- tang depths complicate refretting an instrument. I assume it's ultimately just a question of how big a hassle it is, sawing them deeper or filling them in as required. Can you talk a bit about how you go about dealing with fret slots that are too deep for the wire you want them, you want to install and what considerations do you take into account when selecting or recommending fret sizes? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Love your show. That's
0: from Mike. Thank you, Mike. Um, refretting a vintage instrument with frets that aren't period correct is it's kind of distasteful to me, but, um, it depends on the guitar. You know, maple fingerboard fenders? No. I mean, I don't, I, I don't like it, uh, because the footprint of the fret really needs to, you know, sit right. And it needs to sit right where the old fret was, in my opinion. You can use taller fret wire. They make, You know, like vintage fender wire was 80 thousandths wide by 40 thousandths tall. Um, you can get 80 thousandths wide fret wire that's 50 thousandths tall. So it gives you a little bit more of a jumbo feel, but it still has the, uh, the vintage style, uh, footprint, footprint. Yeah. And that's the way to go. Um, If it's a rosewood fingerboard, it's not as big of a deal because, uh, you know, it can be, it can eventually be refretted and it won't be, it won't be too much harm done, uh, next time around, but with maple, finished maple fingerboards, it's kind of, you're kind of stuck with that size unless you're going to refinish the fingerboard, which you really shouldn't do unless it just absolutely has to be done for some crazy reason, but I, I I'll do everything I can to preserve the finish on a finished maple fingerboard because, uh, you know, on a vintage guitar, that's that's hurting the value if you have to mess with the finish too much. Uh, he's asking about... Okay, yes yeah, so fret sizes. 6105, 6230, etc. Seems to mean different things to different vendors. Right. Those are Dunlop numbers. And Dunlop... Changes. I don't know. Wh- I don't know why they've done this, but you can find uh, any two charts about Dunlop fret sizes, and they'll be different. Uh, I don't know. That, and I've looked at Dunlop's, uh, you know, like website to try to figure out, like, okay, where's the official? Like, let's get the, you know, right from the horse's mouth. Where's the official chart for the fret sizes? And there's really not one. That I can find, and this has been a problem for years, Um, people will say, I want, you know, 6105. Well, what kind of 6105s? Because it varies depending on what chart you look at, and I'm assuming that you, if you order from Dunlop, you might get, you know, anywhere within those parameters. But here's the clincher. Don't use Dunlop wire. I don't. I won't use it. I think it's it's... Well, I don't want to say it's garbage. I don't think it's the best wire you can get. Use Stumac wire or use Jesscar wire, and don't use these weird Dunlop numbers like 6105. Use the measurements. Like I said, 80 thousandths by 40 thousandths, right? If you look at any good uh, fret manufacturer, like Jesscar makes great frets, Stumac makes great frets. Look at their charts, very specific. This many thousandths, by that many thousandths, they have a chart, about, here's the tang depth, here's everything about it, and when you order it, that's what you'll get. Uh, and, and it's also going to be a higher quality fret. I've seen pictures of Dunlop fret wire under magnification, and it's just pitted and terrible, nasty stuff. I don't like it. I don't know why guitar makers use it. That's me. Go ahead, you know, whatever. If you like Dunlop wire, then knock yourself out. But I don't use it. I use Stumac wire almost exclusively. That's what I like, Stuart McDonald. They make great fret wire. Uh,
1: Does different tang depths complicate refretting an instrument?
0: Yeah, it can. Uh, and and the thing, you know, when they make a fret, they have... A, Assume I've never seen it made, but I assume they start out with a little, either a round or a rectangular, um, rod. Rod, and then it gets extruded or stamped into into a into a fret shape, right? Right. Well, the rod, the extra bit of rod has to go somewhere when it's a different size fret, and there's not as much in the meat of the fret. It goes into the tang. I mean, that's what I am assuming Mm -hmm. that you start out with the same size rod and you're making different size frets with it, then that's why the tang depth varies so much. At least that's what I've always thought. Now I've never seen a, an episode of how it's made on, on fret wire. So I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's true, but that's what I've always assumed. And tang depth does vary a lot with the different sizes of frets. Um, it's easy, it, you know, if the depth, if the tang is too big for the neck you're refretting, you can deepen the slots, but it's also real slick to grind down the tang. You can, you can just take it to a, a grinder or use a file and, uh, you know, shorten the tang. So you can get around it. There's things to do to get around it. If you've got a guitar that the slots are too deep and the tang is too shallow, you know, too shallow, I mean, it's all relative, all it's going to do is make it look funny from the side, and, you know, you, you can, you can fill that once the, once the, uh, once the fret is in, then you can, you can fill the extra, if, if the slot is a little too deep, but I don't like that, I like the slot to be the right size for the tang, and I'll do whatever I can to make that happen, but, um, Yeah, is that all he asked? He says, I assume it's ultimately just a question of how big a hassle it is. Yeah, well, we're talking about refretting. It's always a hassle. (laughs) Thanks, Mike.
1: It has arrived. The custom guitar you made me has exceeded my expectations. The cool. finish is spot on, better than any custom shop I have played. You have the formula right on. It's so resonant. Every tone every note rings out clear, clean and clear. And thanks for my new favorite guitar. That's from Nick in Utah.
0: Mhm. I mean, I had to slip that in. I I just can't help it. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, I just found your podcast. I did a Spotify search for any guitar workshop podcast, and there you were.
0: Yeah, oh, we're on Spotify.
1: Yeah. Now I'm listening the third or fourth episode in a row, working on an old Japanese duke. Sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Peter. I am a Bulgarian who lives and works in Sweden. During the lockdown, I'm sorry, I am sorry, that's had... Switzerland. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that is Switzerland. I'm it's sorry. It's a good thing I
0: was reading along. I'll During
1: the lockdown... I have had the time and a bit of cash to dive deeper into luthiery, a dream of mine since some time. I've always been working on guitars since I was a teen, but now things are different. Now I have the time and the space and the mental focus to open a guitar build and repair workshop. Can you give me some advice on starting up a business? What is the important stuff from the business perspective of our craft? Thank you for the attention. Love the podcast and the details you go into talking about guitars. Greetings from Switzerland. That's from Peter.
0: Thank you, Peter. You know, a lot of my worries about starting a business before I did were legal. I always thought it's going to be such a pain to deal with, you know, paying business taxes and the red tape. The red tape. I don't even know what. I don't even know what kind of hoops I'm going to have to what kind of government hoops i'm going to have to jump through to start a business and the reality was it wasn't a big deal now i don't know what it's like in switzerland i'm assuming that you just you can uh, i'm i'm assuming it's actually probably easier than the states but here i had to get a business license i had to register with the state and then uh like a week later this nice lady came and knocked on my door like hi I'm with the tax commission, and I just wanted to know if you have any questions. <laughs> uh, no. D- do you have any questions for me? You know, I mean, they—they want their money is the bottom line. So that's part of it. Is the government and tax issues are real, and you have to deal with them. And I don't know what it's going to be like in Switzerland, but uh, that's something that. What I did is I found a guy. I paid him three hundred dollars. And uh, he took care of it for me. He filed all my paperwork and whatever and whatnot and gave, you know, uh, they gave me a tax ID number and and my business license and all this and, and, you know, it made things easy because I don't want to have to do that. It was so worth the $300 I paid that uh, that's what I would recommend is talking to someone about starting a business because whether it's guitar repair or anything else the paperwork is pretty similar so i would talk to a like a tax or accounting professional about that the other part is customer service man customer service is big make sure make sure that you are taking good care of your customers and make sure that communication is there the the biggest problems i've ever had With repair customers were uh, when I worked for somebody else, actually, um, the guitar would get dropped off, and I wasn't there then, so the guitar got dropped off, I wasn't there, then I get the guitar in my shop, and I do what the the work ticket says, and then they came and picked it up, and uh, I wasn't there when they picked it up, and then I hear back, like, this wasn't right, well, I never talked to the customer, and man, that was a mistake. You gotta, if, you've gotta if you got to communicate with the customer because, you know, and ask a lot of questions. What kind of strings do you use? What kind of tuning do you use? I learned that over the years because you get people, you set up their guitar, and then they get it home and detune it. You didn't know they were tuning down to D. You set it up for E. Well, of course it doesn't play right because the communication wasn't there. So communication is huge. I don't know, I'm just I'm just thinking off the top of my head, what else can I what else can I say? Melissa runs a business. What what do you have?
1: Uh
0: She's got nothing.
1: I got nothing. Fill orders when they come in and don't wait.
0: <laughs> Be responsible. Yeah. Be a responsible adult that, Peter. And I'm, I'm sure you will. I'm ties sure. into customer service. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the stuff that came to my head just from your question, so Good luck, Peter. Thank you.
1: Hi, Eric and Melissa, Longtime listener, first-time question asker. Eric, I was just wondering your thoughts on pickup placement when considering the design of electric guitars. Do you believe that pickup location was done intentionally on the Hallmark instruments? For instance, in relation to harmonic points within the scale length? Or were they just thrown wherever the company found it aesthetically pleasing? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject. Anyway, I love... I'd love your perspective. Thanks from Zach.
0: Yeah, thank you, Zach. Yeah, I, I've noticed, and I'm sure many have, that uh, like on a Strat, for example, there's a harmonic right above the neck pickup. And I've always wondered, you know, was that intentional? Probably, it probably was. You look at those Dan electros with the the single pickup danlectos where the pickup is just right there in the middle it's not a neck pickup it's not a bridge pickup it's just hanging out there in no man's land right in the middle uh and yeah i think they put some thought into this i mean you look at the design of a les paul it has a neck and a bridge pickup and there's really there's really nowhere else you could have put those cuz they're pretty big so i think that it was both I think it was a lot of both aesthetically pleasing and uh you know lining it up with uh, harmonic points on the scale length. I think it just worked out that way. It was just the uh the guitar gods looking down on us and smiling. Everything kind of worked out that way. I mean, if you look at fifties guitars like the d- the design, it just happened to coincide. With that atomic space age era of design, where, you know, cars looked amazing, your refrigerator was a giant chrome, beautiful, you know, thing. I mean, design in general. I mean, just your average end table or your sofa, you just couldn't, you just couldn't get bad design in the fifties, and uh, it, we're just so lucky that the electric guitar boom coincided with that design boom those fender guitars are really futuristic now i mean looking at them now in 2020 i know they look you know really normal and ubiquitous to us because we've we're so used to them but look at them through the through the eyes of someone in in the 50s who is used to a guitar looking like a an old martin dreadnought right they're radical designs, so I think it was—I think it was a lot of aesthetics, and I think it was a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of luck, and I think that they were also thinking about placement on the on the scale length. Yeah, absolutely cool questions, Zach. Thank you.
1: I want to order a new pickup for my Partscaster Esquire, but I'm worried about pickup compatibility. How do I know if I need an is that reverse round reverse polarity?
0: Yeah, RWRP is is shorthand for reverse wind reverse polarity.
1: Uh, pickup or not? Thanks. That's from Ed.
0: How do I know if I need an RWRP pickup or not? Well, Ed, this is a common question, and it it's it's a tricky one because there's really no such thing as a reverse wind reverse polarity pickup by itself. What it what it what it means is that it's a description of a pickup in relation to another pickup, so you know for example, no pickup manufacturer uh well let me put it this way there's really no standard wind like a single coil pickup, a stratocaster style fender style pickup is always north polarity and always you know counterclockwise wind. That's not a thing. There's no standards. It's not a standard. So because there's no standards, there's no standard opposite of that, which would be the RWRP, right? So there's no standard. So it depends on what pickup you have, and more specifically, it depends on the magnetic polarity and the winding direction of your pickup. And if you want it to be hum-canceling, then you need to order the reverse of the pickup you have, not just an... You know, people say this, like there's some kind of, there's an RWRP, you know, gold standard, like all reverse wind, reverse polarity pickups are all north-facing magnets and clockwise wind. Well, that's just not true. You know, even Fender, Fender changed over the years. They they were south-facing, they were north-facing, They they would change. So it depends, and it depends on what pickup you have in there, whether or not. It's north or south, and whether it's clockwise or counterclockwise, you can tell on the magnet if you put a compass next to it. Um, you can tell which way the magnet's facing. That's an easy way to do it. If you stick a compass next to that pickup and the red part of the needle points toward the pickup, well, opposites attract, so that means you've got a south-facing pickup. Which confused me for a while. <laughs> if I can digress.
1: Yeah, oh, please do.
0: Because you'd think a compass. So you think about the North Pole, right? Mm-hmm. Where Santa lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The North mm-hmm. Pole. It's called the North Pole. It is. So magnetically, you would think that it would be the North Pole of the Earth's magnetic field. Right. It is not. It is geographically the North Pole. It is magnetically the south pole of Earth's magnetic field. No. Yes, and that's why a compass, then the, the north side of a compass points toward north because the north pole is actually south magnetically. No. Yeah. This is true. So a compass, the red part of the needle is actually north. Opposites attract, so stick a compass next to your pickup. If north points to your pickup, then you have a south-facing pickup. If south points to your pickup, then you have a north-magnetic-facing pickup, right? North-facing up.
1: I can't believe that you're just talking about normal stuff again after dealing that knowledge on us. Like, that's not... Well... So the north pole is the south
0: pole? You'd be surprised the things you have to know to repair guitars. <laughs>
1: The North Pole is the South Pole, everybody.
0: The North Pole is actually magnetically a South Pole. of If Earth is a big magnet...
1: I'm going to start walking around on the ceilings. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? I
0: know, it's confusing, isn't it? Because I thought, you know, a long time ago, I thought, well... A compass. The red part of the compass must be a South Pole. Pole because it's attracted to the North Pole and opposites attract. But that is not true. That I mean, is so Yeah, crazy. I know it is. That does it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Get in those gig and guitar repair horror stories. You can do so by submitting them to uh, if you go to eric.com click the contact link. You can submit them there or you can leave a voicemail Uh, or text message at 757-774-8482 and uh, we'll use it as part of the show. Thank you so much.
1: Good night.